Hello, this is Melissa, and it is Real History on the 26th of October, 2023, and I'm just re-recording a little bit of an intro because, as I mentioned, I've been ill. Uh, I recorded this with Rodney a week ago, Monday, and I'm happy to be joined today by Rodney. And I just wanted to say really quickly about Rodney He's listened to Alan for a long time, and there is a mirror site that those of you who've been going to the website for a long time will recognize, cuttingthrough.jinkness.com, and you will have heard Alan mention that mirror site numerous times. And I have to say that there there was actually one time when there were some little problems with Every single website except for the mirror site. And the, the only thing that we could upload to or count on for, it was just a period of a couple, three hours, but it was cuttingthrough.jinkness.com. And that was a site that Rodney offered to mirror for Alan all those years ago. And it is still on the go. So hello, Rodney. Hello there. How you doing? Um, Doing all right. How you doing? I'm good. So we we just discussed for a couple of minutes off air that it was kind of one of those days. I guess also because we're, we're recording this, it isn't actually Thursday. It's Monday, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it, you know how Mondays are. Yep. Yeah. Still in the working world. Yeah, that's right. So I had just off air. I said one of the things that I wanted to talk about was. All those years ago, how did you come upon Alan Watts' work? Um, it took years to find Alan. Um, I had a friend who was taking massage classes, and through his um, <clears throat> classmates, they recommended go to this website. So he said, you got to check out this guy, some famous guy that's not Alan. So I checked him out, and stuff seemed plausible. I knew something was wrong with the world, but I didn't know what. And then the lizard thing came in that put me in a loop. And then I saw somewhere that mentioned Alan and said, Alan Watt, the thinking man's so-and-so, this other famous British guy. So I found him. First, I found Alan Watts. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he's about, he's more about philosophy and other things. And then I found Alan Watt years later. I started with the the videos, the chemtrail stuff, and then the Jackie Petru and all the other audio, got his books, and uh, he said he needed a, a mirror site, and I happened to have this great deal with this um, web host where I can have unlimited this and that, emails, domain names, subdomains, so I I offered that to him, and to my surprise, he said yes, because I I thought he was just so famous and inundated with so many emails and such that I'd be at the bottom of the list. But he said yes, and he was okay with the the name Jankness. Um, the the root word could just I got that that word in the army. Oh, it just means it just means anything, but uh. It's like a it's like a a replacement word for 
something you can't think of at the moment. And then my army friends would just use it jokingly. And then years later, I just decided to get jankness.com. That is so funny, Rodney, because I always thought it was an odd word, but I figured that it meant something to you or it was part of a family name or something. (laughs) (laughs) It actually is a family name. I don't don't know these people. There's there's probably a bunch of Janks and Jenkins, etc. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's an army thing. Interesting. Even the colonel that we had of our brigade, he used it in a in a meeting with the other officers. And my signal officer heard me use the word "jank," and he said, "What does that mean?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was I was surprised to hear he said uh, the colonel used the word "jank." <laughs> I didn't I didn't know it was that widespread. Oh, that's funny. So when were you in the military? Around 93, 96. My recruiter said that's, at the time, that was a good time to be in the military if you didn't want to be in any action. Mm -hmm. He was right. And uh, he was a recruiter that actually told you the truth. Like, it's going to be hard, going to be miserable. (laughs) (laughs) And I heard, I heard all these other recruiter stories that were completely opposite of that. Well, that's good. So, did you you had an overall a, a good experience in the military? Yeah, it was it was a lot of experiences. I'm I'm grateful it was only three years because by the third year I was done. I was ready to be a civilian again. I got to experience so many things. In the short time I was there, I could tell you probably a thousand stories. Were you were you stationed in the U.S. the whole time? I had a basic in Fort Leonard Wood, my AIT training in Georgia, mm-hmm. and then I was stationed in Hawaii. Oh, that's not a bad. Is, um, it's a mixed bag there because all five branches are there, so you still have a lot of meatheads. Uh-huh. Running around Hawaii with military haircuts. It's almost like the entire <laughs> the island I was on was c- consists of military, tourists, and locals. Ah. So, yes, yeah, it was really mixed experience. I hated a lot of it, and I was, even though I was in Hawaii, I still wanted to get out. Mm-hmm. If you want to, we can come back to the military in a little bit, but you said that you'd always suspected that there was something wrong with the system. Did that start even before the military, or did that kind of come together in your head while you were in the military? Well, I had questions when I was in first grade. Really? <laughs> yeah. Stuff didn't make sense. Like the like the, the fluoride in the toothpaste. I was questioning that back then. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then... Yeah, I had a babysitter, and her, her son said, that his dad said, um, they put fluoride in the drinking water. So, <laughs> and I thought that didn't make sense. Our health teacher said, don't swallow the toothpaste because fluoride is poisonous. Yet they put it in the water. <laughs> <laughs> it's good for your teeth. <laughs> my teeth stop in my mouth. It doesn't go into my stomach or 
inside my body. <laughs> I was asking those questions around first grade. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, amazing that they didn't drug you immediately. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I was very quiet. I was more of a observer, listener, and uh, I was I was very shy. Mm-hmm. But I um I wanted to talk. <laughs> I wanted to do like music, etc. But um, I, I guess I didn't come out of that shell until around high school. Your friend says go check out this other guy, and then. You you got into Alan and your what did you think when you first became exposed to the stuff that he was talking about? I'm assuming that a lot of the information that you'd got, whether it was a mixed bag or not, had had done a good job of sort of paving the way. Get some of the basics out there. A lot of the stuff he said made sense. So um I actually did some homework, and I went to the library and looked up all those old books. I think before, yeah, before I started looking at Alan's stuff, I I took a course in speed reading because mm. I I really don't like to read books, um, <laughs> and if I could just zoom through it, uh, I'd be I'd be saving a lot of time. <laughs> and I, I especially don't like to read uh, fiction because I feel like it's such a waste of time. For me, but some people have recommended um, fiction books that that actually are really helpful to anyone for thinking, seeing what's going on around you, seeing the parallels. Uh, so, such as uh, high school books, uh, books we had to read in high school: uh, The Orwell, Brave New World, Fahrenheit, Four. Whatever that number is. Four, five, one, yeah. Four, five, one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so those were helpful. Yeah, well, indeed. Someone suggested Atlas Shrugged. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a thick book. It is a uh, thick book. I, 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 yeah, I didn't have patience for it, so I just skipped around, and that, that was enough to catch my interest. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't have to, I don't have to start from the beginning. Because sometimes that just makes you not want to go through the whole thing. You're um, not one of those people that reads the end first, though, are you? No. I read the end uh, of, what are those things called? The user's license agreement. Uh-huh. I start at the end. Uh, I actually yeah. read those things, as boring as they are. But they're all, mainly to me, they look like they're all copy and pasted. So once you see, like, the first sentence of a paragraph, you know what it's going to say. Mm-hmm. And if it says it applies to people in Australia, skip it. I'm not in Australia. <laughs> um, and Alan's books. I've never read any book written in that manner. I know. And uh, like other people say, you read it again. It's like reading a whole new book because... You're ready for it again for a mm-hmm. second go around, mm-hmm. and then you read it again and again, and you catch all the other stuff that you missed. It's so jam packed with information. 
They really are. You know, I w- I just had a a brief conversation with somebody earlier today, and I was talking about the books. I asked them if they had read them, and and they actually had read them once before. And I said it's the kind of thing that if if it's been a while, it's a good thing to go back and and read them again because you see things that you just did not see at all or or based on things that you've learned since you read them the first time you go oh now I understand and I was explaining to this person I said you know I read them well first of all my experience was I ordered them individually instead of the whole set together I ordered the second book first and I've said this before, but the reason why is because the, the first volume, the first cutting through volume is the androgynous agenda, the hermaphroditic agenda. I, I was like, what? The hermaphroditic agenda? Androgynous? What? what is this is, this is just way too bizarre for me. So I ordered the second book. And it's very funny now because all these years later, I mean, you know, the hermaphroditic slash androgynous agenda is quite plain, quite clear. But I I ended up reading them all, and then I had to read them again probably just a few months later because I realized, you know, I'm I'm not sure I understand what he's saying at all. And, you know, there was that. And then, you know, I was with him and never had time to crack one of his books again for years and years. And after he passed away, I, I, I just wanted to, you know, put myself back in those books. And, you know, you, you just kind of look for any way that you can be connected or stay connected. And, and what I realized, you know, for having not read them in 14 or 15 years, it was... I was blown away with how much I was seeing as if for the first time. Mm. So they are remarkable books because, well, like you say, they're written unlike any books that are out there. And he, he, I mean, I've I've talked to him about it, and, and he said this before, you know, they're written to deprogram you. So he plays with language, and they're, they're just some things that he says are jarring, the way one sentence is juxtaposed to the, the, the sentence that follows that. You go, well, that's just kind of jarring and weird. But then you realize, oh, I've just had my mind cracked open a little bit so that I see what he's saying in a different way. Very, very unusual, for sure. Yeah, and with um, those books and the audio, when I'd be working at work, I would take breaks and do, how do you say this, my own exercises, trying to uh, break apart words and numbers and stuff and find symbolism, and um, and I'd find some things on my own, some stuff I'd mention that... Uh, other people like I'd say holiday right and I'd say it's a holy day and then some people would gasp because it's like <laughs> it's right in your face and I didn't see it as a holy, <laughs> a holy day <laughs> and then I would take basic 
like basic Spanish, basic German, basic French. I'd say that write it backwards and forwards. And it just seemed like it took no imagination to create languages. Right? They, <laughs> they travel wherever and spread religion and confound language. And it's, <laughs> here's an example. You know that I program um, websites for mm-hmm. a, a university. With yes and no, for true or false, one represents true and zero represents false. And you take, let's say false is zero, or no, and then backwards it's on, so it's the opposite of true. And you could go on and on and on. Like C is yes backwards. Spanish C is yes backwards. Mm-hmm. C yes. And then it's just, all this stuff, stuff is in your face. And I'm, I'm not even fluent in Spanish or these other languages. That's funny when you point that out there, Rodney, because I had never thought about C being yes backwards. Just never occurred to me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There's a, I don't know what you call it. I guess linguist or something. She, um, She knows three languages fluently and three languages okay. So she knows Spanish, French, English, and she knows Russian. Mandarin and something else. Ah. And then she'd say stuff like more stuff than I pointed out. And this is just this thing backwards. Right? Well, okay. She's done a, we're in the same mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, let me sneak into music. For music, I'm with a band that plays music from all over the world. Like, uh, and sometimes we'll do stuff in their language, Arabic, Turkish, some, some Hebrew, different Indian languages. So we don't learn it. We just learn how to pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Right? But I, I want to learn how to pronounce things properly. Like in the Arabic, some of the words have the and the zh and um, other forms of consonants we never use in English. So I learned to read Arabic, download the Arabic lyrics, and so I can pronounce the things better. And um, we were going to work on a Korean one. So I learned how to read the Korean alphabet. Um, some of my Taekwondo training helped me yeah. <laughs> with some of the Korean. And then and now I'd see links between all these different languages that don't seem to... They don't seem to connect on the surface, but um, the letter G in um, Korean looks like the letter G in Greek, Russian. So I wasn't taught like who went where and what, how language propagated and got transferred, etc., etc. But a lot of answers or clues you can see in language, their alphabets. Music, even the instruments. My parents are from the Philippines, and um, there's these Filipino songs and Filipino instruments that I find out later were Spanish. <laughs> uh huh. There's this uh, this stringed instrument called the bandura, 
and they have a Pandora in Spain. <laughs> what in the Philippines is Filipino? <laughs> uh-huh. Even the name came from some Prince Philip hundreds of years ago. So who were they before before him? Well, the Philippines, I didn't know that about you, but the Philippines are an interesting place because there is there there is so much Spanish influence there. Yeah. And my dad, he was in a job that would take him all over the world. Um, he uh, He's a chemical engineer, and mm. his company made machines, and he would go to whatever country that bought their stuff and um, be there for a week uh, tweaking the, the settings, the levels and stuff. And uh, one of the countries was... Forget which one, someplace in Southeast Asia, and then he was surprised to see that their number system is the same as in in the Philippines. I wasn't surprised because <laughs> <laughs> I already looked that up and I saw no, oh, they uh, these other countries share the same number as the uh, the Philippines. Did your folks move to the U.S. before you were born? Yeah. Ah, um, first, my dad, he went to New York to live with his relative and then found a place. And then my mom came. And so, then I was born. Ah, yeah. neat. Well, how, how did they like it as immigrants? Were they happy? Yeah, they're, they're definitely happy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> later in life, oh, actually all throughout life growing up, they said, be grateful that you're in the United States because it's very poor in the Philippines. You don't have this, you don't have that, you don't have this. And they eat rice and fish every day. They don't have <laughs> rice and fish every day. <laughs> they eat a lot of stuff. <laughs> that, that was their way of... <laughs> yeah, make- making you think that it's so destitute over there in the Philippines. You don't want to go there. But we're going to visit there. <laughs> And then you'll discover for yourself that they eat more than rice and fish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's um, funny. Well, before we get back to uh, you, you questioning the world and, and language and everything, I'm curious, af- after the military, then what did you do? I was determined to go to college. Oh, and great. So I went to Rutgers with the intent of majoring in computer science, but then I found that to be too hard and discouraging so I decided to major in anything <laughs> so I just uh, I decided on music I graduated with a music degree at Rutgers but I, I managed to get a computer job anyway oh great now Rutgers is in New Jersey yes so for the people who are in other parts of the world it's a very fine university uh, in, in New Jersey and so you you just studied music in general or yeah, I studied at a general course in music. I didn't have to audition on any particular instrument, mm-hmm. which was good for me because for three years I wasn't really playing any instrument uh, in the military. Okay, so you enjoyed that? But which part? Oh, well, the, not the not playing for three years in the military. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> the Rutgers Actually, experience. When you're doing what you like in school, uh, you tend not to like it because you have it. You have it for homework. Oh, so right. I didn't, like, I didn't like doing Beethoven for homework. 
and then like doing <laughs> fundamentals because it was stressful. Um, but afterwards, I thought it was worth it. Oh, great. That's great. So you ended up um, doing computers anyway, and uh, but you have done music all these years quite and quite a lot of it. Yeah, I was actually following the model of some of my college college friends who dropped out early. I didn't drop out, but they dropped out early to get great computer jobs and have salaries bigger than my, my parents because it just seemed like at the time, you know something about computers? Well, you're hired. Here's a great salary. <laughs> so I kind of followed that. Oh, that's great. That's fortunate. Yeah. What I've never talked to you about is what kind of music you do and what kind of instruments you play. And I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Um, I play a lot of instruments. But if you ask me to play something I haven't played in a while, I just need like maybe a week or two to polish up. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be back where I left off. Um what are so your kind of primary instruments that you do most of the time? Currently, soprano saxophone. Any hand percussion, the upright bass or electric bass. Sometimes guitar, mostly backing vocals and occasional lead vocals. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as genre, it's any any genre that's asked of me. death metal but uh, <laughs> the, uh my friend had a friend who uh, asked me uh, can you play death metal drums 
Well, let me hear it first because I don't. I'm not sure if I can. And I heard it. It was way too fast, way too fast for for my feet because they do a lot of double bass pedal. So I said, I I can do it on bass guitar. I can do it that fast on bass. And so I talked to his friend and he said, Yeah. He gave me all these songs to listen to, and they were actually really well written and catchy, being death metal. And if uh, you asked him what his influences are, they weren't death metal bands. It was people like Prince, Madonna, all these other pop, Tom Petty, and all these other pop uh, artists. He was able to incorporate that into death metal without sounding like them. And uh, other genres, country, not really modern country, or the old-timey stuff, bluegrass, classical. I was in a symphony orchestra playing the contrabass. Um, hmm. Now, now it's my recollection from some years back that for a, a good period of your life, you made your living exclusively from music. Is that right? Um, I mean, you've you've always kind of had the dual thing going on, but I thought there were a period where you were just doing music. Am I wrong? I think I was just doing music when I was unemployed one year. <laughs> <laughs> so I was collecting unemployment, okay. just doing music, and I was also trying to learn um, my own computer craft. Mm-hmm. Trying to get better at that, so I was learning through some video form of learning uh, back then. That was very helpful. Mm-hmm. But um, I remember I knew early on that I probably shouldn't do it it full-time, because I'd, I'd probably be very poor. Mm-hmm. I'd have a hard time. My okay. dad wanted me to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Eh, I don't know. I never went to be a doctor. I'm glad I never became one. After um, going through the, the health care of the military, that's atrocious, and then out of the military... It wasn't much better. The doctors just couldn't, they couldn't provide good answers. It was just medicine. Just give you medicine. You you just reminded me of something, but you know how Alan would say that in the military, they're always using, they use the soldiers as guinea pigs, basically. We're going to try out this drug, or you're going to have to take this, and we're going to stay. Did you actually experience that or feel the sense that you were being experimented on medically in one way or another? No, I was oblivious if that ever took place. Mm -hmm. In um, basic training, part of the in-processing, you get injected with all these things. And I don't, it was so traumatic, I don't remember them saying you're getting this, that, this, that, this, that, and that. It's like seven, eight things. And then there's people in a line with, um, what are those things called? Those injection guns? They're shooting them in your arms and they're yelling at you, boom, soldier! Uh. <laughs> yeah, I was stunned. You just shot, two people just shot me in the arms and I'm supposed to happily move along? Okay. 
And, um, yeah. <laughs> After those several shots, I said, said to myself, I don't, I don't want to take anything, any needles ever again. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was, and then fast forward, uh, probably two years or one and a half, I was deployed to Haiti. You're going to have to take this one vaccination in your, in your butt before we go. So I don't know what that was. It was some, something that was frozen and then they, I guess they have to thaw it and then inject you with it. I don't well, know what that sounds was. awful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's if, slightly better than being injected with the thing while it's still frozen, but it still sounds horrible. <laughs> I don't even know if that's fine. <laughs> uh. yeah. So what is your favorite genre of music to play that, you know, that like if you, if somebody said to you, this is what you're going to play forever and you don't get to do any other genres, what, what do you think you'd settle on? I would say, funk anything i could make anything funky i could make country sound funky are we are we talking like old school sly and the family stone kind of funk or a, yeah that, that yeah. feeling yeah More like a feeling <laughs> anything with friends like rock music they say they would say to me that even though you're not playing funk it has that funky feeling like funky <laughs> overtones and i'll do that with i'll do that with the turkish music <laughs> ah. with their strange um strange to us um time signatures yeah sub uh, time subdivisions and you know one of the things that I have enjoyed about this doing this real history series is I've incorporated a little bit of music into, you know, not every episode, but in a lot of the episodes. And I have learned 
music or genres or things that I, like the oud. Mm-hmm. I had never really listened to oud music, and it's lovely. It's yeah. great. I'm like, wow, there's a whole world of uh, music out there that I've never been exposed to. One band I'm in, the guy plays the oud, and uh, no frets. You're using your ear. Got to <laughs> use your ear. I'm all for that because I play the the upright bass has no frets, and my training wheels for that was the fretless bass. <laughs> away I played the cello for for years and I, I played her cello ah. I saw it sounded so good and my wife said you, you sound so good on that it's, it's like you've been playing your whole life and you just picked it up and uh, part of it is that cello is expensive <laughs> <laughs> And so is the bell. (laughs) 
of it really is the instrument mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is a, I had a bass teacher and when he got his $32,000 bass with his I don't know $1,200 bow he says you want to try it I said yeah and he says wow you sound really good on that I guess that's all it takes is you need to buy a $32,000 bass <laughs> and $1,200 if I had a hat on I would tip it to you because I would be terrified of even touching uh, a $32,000 base. I mean, I'll say this. There, there were times I, I walked like, like on eggshells or something around Alan's instruments. And I remember a couple of times he would just hand me the guitar and, you know, I, I, I it scared me. <laughs> <laughs> If I, if something had happened while that guitar was in my care, you know, I mean, it's like the first time I recall as an adult someone handing me a baby to hold. It's like, ah, 
how, how do you know they're breathing? I mean, you know, it's like a sick, a three-day-old, you know, it's like, is it breathing? I can't see. I don't know. Don't make me hold this guitar. <laughs> <laughs> well, so... So that's great. You love music, and um, you discovered Alan. And how did finding his talks change your life or move your life in a direction? Did it move you into a, a direction that was different than where you were headed? It moved me tremendously. I mean, every day, every everything I heard, I thought about the things he'd say and relate everything that I experienced, um, his talks and the books, just every, every day for years. I don't think there's one day I didn't think about what I learned from him every day. It's, he, he impacted my life so much. It's, it's like a life changer. And now, and from that, I'm able to make more sound decisions. You know, the thing that started, <laughs> Three years ago, mm. oh, that, that thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and better decisions with other things. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then, um, like other people who start to come across this knowledge, they still want to try to spread the knowledge, and then they get the backlash of people resisting and getting mad at you for trying to crumple their foundation of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So uh, I eased on that. And um, then I took out an advice of just throwing little tidbits here and there to see how someone responds, if at all. And then that's helped. And you might get a response years later. Or sometimes the next day or the next week, and someone would say, "Yeah, I, I took your advice on that thing you said last week," and I'd be, I'd be thrilled because usually I get, <laughs> get no no response or I don't know what they made of what I just said. Yeah. And you think that that was because you you just tried this technique of not coming on quite so heavy with the information, just little tidbits. Yeah, because I, I realize people are still watching a lot of TV or they're engrossed in something, social media, their phone, this thing called TikTok. <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid to look at that. I've never <laughs> gone to a TikTok thing, so but I know it's um there to shorten your attention span mm-hmm. a great deal. My friend... uh. He wrote a musical, a Christmas musical, and he had an advisor. He said, um, yeah, finish this musical. I'll give you money to help record it. For some reason, musicals are really big in, I think, Germany or Europe. So I helped them record drum set and basses on that. And then later on, he said, yeah, I'm promoting six to 15 second promotions on TikTok. <laughs> that's, that's it. Just six seconds. That's a, yeah, I, I, it was bad, but it was cartoon. too... Yeah. 
when it was two minutes was all they could hold their attention for, but now six <laughs> to 15 seconds. <laughs> it's like a cartoon. Uh, yeah. That's so funny. I know. I, I, I mean, I do understand, like, when Alan's talks, during, you know, at that, that 2020 time when they got longer and longer and people, you know, a lot of people were fortunate enough to still be working or have a job that they could, you know, could count on. You know, they weren't locked down or shut at home. Mm-hmm. But they'd say, oh, it's just, you know, I can't, I can't do two hours or three hours or four hours, but... He said, well, break it up, you know, break it up into smaller pieces, download it and play an hour a day, you know, but mm-hmm. try to try to stay with the train of thought. But it really is that place. I mean, somebody was somebody told me that they really look at the different channels that I've started. And if it's 30 minutes or under, they'll go to it and watch it or listen to it. But if it's 30 minutes or over, they say, oh, I really have to plan to incorporate that into my life, into my schedule. And why don't you do just short things? Everything's just 10 minutes. And I, I said, well, it's when, once you get going on a conversation or an idea or a topic, it's kind of hard to just shave it down to, you know, 6 to 15 seconds. <laughs> 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 well, he was doing it and he was enjoying it. That's and he amazing. Had to do it every day. Yeah. <laughs> well, whatever happened to the Christmas musical? Did you learn? Did I what? Did you find out what happened to the Christmas musical? Oh, um, they had the premiere um, years ago. Ah. And, um, but I think he may have been the only one piecing it all together. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he had help. So when we saw it at the premieres, it needed a lot of polishing. It was unfinished. And then his advisor said, after he did all that work, he said he had to try to shave it down to under an hour. That may have been, he may have had to cut 30 minutes off or 45 minutes. So it's like, Use back to the drawing board, basically. Mm-hmm. So he's been working on it for years. So it's still coming. That's possibly next Christmas, not yeah. this one. Spirit 
It's hard when you know that when you're doing something that really turns out to be a labor of love. It's hard to, you know, mm-hmm. get it off the ground. It, it takes an awful lot to do something when it's not being funded and you don't have a an army of producers involved in it. But, yeah, when I when yeah. I see um some young person with a really well-put-together YouTube channel and content maybe weekly or almost every day, there's no way this person is doing it themselves. Yeah. With graphics and perfect sound and and good camera work and even the background. Mm-hmm. Like, like a, a movie set where everything's placed nicely and neatly. It's not someone's bedroom with socks on the floor and drinks and... <laughs> Plates and cans and stuff all over the place. No, it's very neat and well put together, as if it was a set. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. It's possible if they if that's all they do, and they get all their money from YouTube or however they do it, commercials. Well, I mean, I think I think that even if they are getting it, their their income in that way. They still have to have help because you're managing to to interact on social media that way and to have the advertisers or to you know take advantage of how something is monetized. It becomes almost a full time job. I mentioned this recently that you know there's a couple that I know that I've talked to before. They have a their own um, podcast called Book of Hours, O-U-R-S. And they have a good division of labor, which is helpful. And she is interested in the social media and kind of runs all of the social media. Um, And he does other things. He's not at all interested in that. But, yeah, Alan would say all the time, you know, people have no idea. And they look at something that's really slick, and then they buy the promotion that comes out of them oh i'm just you know i'm i'm an average guy and it's like no (laughs) you're not you know i mean alan used to joke do you have any idea how much time and effort it takes to keep this website looking like it was made 25 years ago (laughs) (laughs) you have no idea what goes into that but i mean you know seriously the um I'm still amazed at, even though I was there participating it in the, I'm, what I'm, what most amazes me is the sheer amount of research that that man could do. It was 
unbelievable. And I still, I still look at it and go, you know, and sometimes when I'm looking through older talks and I'm the one who cut and pasted all those links and, and, you know, learned some, a, a few crude basics of HTML so that I could get them up on the website. And I'd be doing it over and over and over for 50 articles he put up there, but I, I'm still amazed at that. And so when I see what you're talking about with slick graphics and the set and the, the, the quantity of stuff that they're putting out, I go, no, 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 you know, that's not just some, uh, you know, grassroots guy who's doing this on his own. There's a, a team there. And I think a lot of people are still kind of naive uh, about how much production goes into the simplest, the, the seemingly simplest little thing. Yeah. And then you know this because you're doing website stuff. <laughs> the stuff I do is more dynamic, meaning I program stuff. So let's say I don't work on products, but let's say it is a company with a thousand products. I'm not going to make a thousand pages. I'm going to make one page template and then depending on what you click on, it's going to go to the database, get the information, get the right picture, and put one of those thousand products on the page for you to look mm-hmm. at and possibly purchase. So the, um, the stuff you're doing is a lot of work. It's static. We call mm-hmm. it static where it's just there's no actual, not too much programming involved and you're cutting and pasting links, blah, blah, blah. And um, I wasn't about to offer services to disrupt your flow of how you do the website because it might involve overhauling <laughs> your website. Plus, I don't know what kind of uh, platform the other um, sites are on because I program in a specific language, and I don't know if the other ones are compatible with what I do. Mm-hmm. So there's a way to make things easier, like indexing or having a page template for looking at real history, clicking on links for 2023, etc. That's still a lot of work. Like what you're doing, it's not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> you know, this is kind of the thing, I, you know, at one point someone, you know, there were some offers early on to redo the website and we were just so busy that to to focus on that like you said that you were surprised when Alan responded to your offer to host a mirror site and you just thought oh well he's not going to be paying attention to me well I have to tell you that anybody who's offering help that is actually an email that goes to the top of the list I mean it's a priority but even when we got the offers uh, to help redesign the website, there was, there was so much actual hands-on from Alan and from me that it, it just never was feasible. And then there was one point where there was someone that he had a good relationship with, and I think he he probably trusted him to be able to do the work, but the the kind of the stipulation was that it needed to be a WordPress website. Mm-hmm. 
Right. And w- once I, I, I just did a little bit of homework into the WordPress setup, and there was there was a loss of control there that mm-hmm. Alan didn't like. You know, that when you read the fine print of it, he just, he didn't want to go that route. And now I look at it and I think, well, okay, it's old school. Deal with it, you know. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I'm a little less sympathetic because I see the websites as just containing this incredible wealth of information, literally thousands of hours of talks and articles and documents and if you just bother to you know just take a quick peek at it and I did I made a little something a few months ago and I called it I think I called it uh, cutting through the matrix 101 and I kind of did a little guided tour of how to get around and what the buttons meant and yeah it would be great at some point if the material was done in a in an interface that was more user friendly and people could navigate and get around, but now we're getting all of this relentless talk about Web three or Web three versus Web three point What's the difference? And I think, in terms of any kind of free speech or getting content out. I really do think that the internet is is more or less over. That's just where I'm coming from. And I know you're in that field, you're doing it, and you may have a different opinion, but I I think the you know, websites don't have websites themselves are not dynamic, if you know what I mean. They they've moved us, they've herded us into social media and everyone shares, you know, quick little uh, sound bites or links via their social media. And I know people who simply won't communicate with you, um, listeners to Alan, who won't communicate with you if you don't have the tech to be uh, constantly texting. You know, that's mm. like any e- emails to them are, are so old school. <laughs> yeah, that explains a lot. Because I'm. Um I seem to not exist because I don't. I'm not on social media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, um, I'd hear about some event where we went to do karaoke here, uh, but we forgot that you're not on Facebook. Uh, you would have liked it. <laughs> <laughs> do I have to be on <laughs> Facebook to exist? And then I just, I was just okay with not being included. Yeah. I didn't need to be on Facebook. I am inadvertently on Facebook because people take pictures of us and video and post it on Facebook. So it's it's incorrect for me to say I'm not on it. But you're not actively seeking it out and doing that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I know it's it's an endless rabbit hole of just information. Mm-hmm. Useless. Whatever, you could just keep on clicking until you pass out. That's right. Thing. Yeah. That's why um I don't like to go on those things. That's why I'm avoiding TikTok. It's also annoying to look at that. Walking by people glancing at their phone and they're on those things. Going to the next thing, swipe, go to the next thing, next mm-hmm. thing. How was that person twenty years ago? 
before people had cell phones and had some handheld portable device. Um, I had this thing called Palm Pilot. They called it the Personal Digital Assistant, PDA. I remember Palm Pilot, yeah. 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 And then I was that jerk with this handheld device staring at it, staring at it on the toilet, walking around, saying, hey, do you know where this is? And I'd shove this thing in their face. They don't know what they're looking at. That's a computer? What is that? And then I was the one on chat all the time. I preferred to chat. But then I realized <laughs> a one-minute conversation actually took 15 to 20 minutes on chat. That's that's a waste of time. <laughs> so I stopped doing that eventually. And then now it's my mom that's doing all that stuff. Like she's on chat and preferring to text and do all that stuff on on the internet. And I, I feel like I grew out of that. Yeah. I didn't want to see my parents do that or anyone else do that. Well, you know, learn from me. Don't. That's right. <laughs> don't do what I did. And, uh, yeah, and I stopped playing video games. That was also eternal waste of time. I'm glad I stopped doing that. Yeah. Well, I think when I when I say the internet is is dead, I I mean that. First of all, we've all seen in the last few years how little free speech there actually is. When you, if you want to talk about uh, nonsense or you know meaningless things or sports or trivia or actresses or whatever, then that's fine. You can just talk forever. But if you have something to say that is kind of scary or risky, you have to watch it or watch where you're going. You know, it will be censored. You you will. You know, the powers that be are going to come down on you. And yeah. also, because they have moved people in this, you know, kind of short attention span and social media direction, um, what you're left with is most people, if they if they go to a website, it's for something like ordering something on Amazon, that kind of thing. And now they're mostly doing it on a handheld device anyway. At least that's what I'm seeing, you mm-hmm. know. And so I, I, I think as like one, one thing I've noticed, I added in the Twitter, but I don't actually really use it. You know, I, I sometimes I remind myself about once every week or two. Oh, if somebody's commented or liked something and you've got a few minutes to just go thank you or, you know, back at you kind of thing, that mm-hmm. would be, that's a good way to interact and I'll, I'll try to remember to do that. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm probably always going to be old school. To me, it's one-on-one conversations. It's getting to the heart of the matter with somebody or finding out what they're thinking and that takes time. It's, you, you, you know, nothing is achieved in two minutes, let alone six to 15 seconds. You know, what, what actually got achieved here? Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of people um, talk about how they got kicked off of this thing, YouTube, this platform, that platform. And at the same time, this word shadow banning is being mm-hmm. used. And my one friend's. He doesn't 
he couldn't find any instance of shadow banning. Because he's not looking at the stuff we're looking at. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I hear it all the time. And I'm trying to think of what's a good solution to just avoid that. If you're going to use a search engine and they're going to direct you to something you're not really looking for. Or it's this topic, but the worst version of this topic, the um, sanitized version. Then what's what's a good What's a good solution? Make your own search engine? Or just always go to a site that's a portal to other sites? I didn't come up with a solution, really. Um, Well, you know, one thing that crossed my mind a couple of times recently is whatever happened to Start Page. Remember that? Was that in the um, 90s? Yeah, well, familiar. actually, um, I, I think Start Page was really only about 10 years ago, you know, 10 or 12 years ago. I think that woman, I, I don't remember what her name was, maybe Catherine Albrecht is is popping into my head. If, if that's wrong, then it's wrong. But she was kind of on the truth circuit for a while, and I don't remember what her uh, area of expertise was what got her started there, but she had come up with the idea that, you know, so-called truthers needed their own um, search engine and they needed their own browser. So she came up with that, and uh, I tried StartPage for a while, but the, but I don't think it exists anymore, and I think, unfortunately, she got cancer. I, I So I don't know if anybody mm. kept that, that ball going or not, but that was one attempt at doing that but the one thing um you know alan found somebody talking about uh, how search engines are really customized for you based on your activity and this is something that um that people have a hard time wrapping their heads around but i think you'll understand if i put in let's say we're we are both using the same browser and we're using the same search engine on that browser but we have different ip addresses and those ip addresses are revealed they're visible to whoever is tracking you you will come back with very different search results than i get mhm and somebody made a video, Alan and I watched it showing this. It was really quite amazing to see that you could put in exactly the same search words, but what you got back is really customized for you. And now that people are walking around with their handheld devices and they're much more mobile, I hear all the time from people saying, well, I just did um, a search on replacing tires on my car, and now all I'm getting are ads for tires. Or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, w- one person said, I, "I, you know, I think they had Apple set up. You know, they their whole system was Apple, but they said, literally, I was just talking to a friend about cheese." And for the next six hours, all I got were different ads and articles about cheese. So, you know, now what we're, you know, now the, you don't, people aren't so reliant on search results and search engines because 
things are happening much more real time. So it's almost that, you know, that voice to skull stuff that we're getting now where, you know, it comes out of your mouth and you're going to have it come back to you, you know, on so your device. So speak the word apple or cheese or something and the phone would pick that up? Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't use, I don't use my cell phone enough. Oh, well, you better get on that, Rodney. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Use your cell phone more. (laughs) Yeah, that's going to be a process because I have to re-enable everything that I disabled. (laughs) I think we were talking a while back and you told me that you had some ancient, ancient cell phone that everybody was just astonished still worked. Oh, yeah. That was the Palm Trio 7... Hundred or seven fifty. I was uh, at some bar listening to music. I was probably playing music, and I left my trio on the bar with my wife. Three separate guys said, "Oh my god, I used to have that phone, the Palm Trio. I love that." And they pick it up <laughs> <laughs> without even their permission. <laughs> and then um, our friend was next to her. And the third guy came and said the same thing, picked up the phone. And my, our friend said, is that okay? But they're just picking up Rodney's phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even my coworker had that phone. What I liked about that phone was I could take out the battery and put a, my spare battery in. Try doing that with an iPhone today. Mm-hmm. Um, I could actually back up my phone. On a computer, I could connect it to some old computer with the, some old Palm program, back up my my contacts and stuff, my calendar, and the next time I broke it, I can just get it six at a time because they were so cheap. I could get like for ten dollars, thirty dollars, fifty, whatever. So why get the newest thing? <laughs> When they, when the newest things don't allow you to take the battery out easily or back it up on your own device, back it up in the cloud. They want, exactly. You've got, like, first they don't want. up your files in my filing <laughs> cabinet. Just give me your information. I'll keep it safe in my <laughs> fireproof file cabinet. I yeah. won't look. <laughs> you don't trust that, huh? No. Yeah, no, it's, everything really is so obviously about total surveillance. If you could take the battery out, then it wouldn't work and they might not be able to access GPS and know exactly where you were and what you were doing. And, you know, uh, again, the book of ours, they had really gotten into the whole geofencing technique which is keeping you confined to an area. Now, everybody is talking about 15-minute cities and, and climate lockdowns and all of this, but geofencing, you know, the way that it, of course, is being marketed is that it just helps you get better tailor-made advertising for you. It's helpful, 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 right? But what happens, the geofence means that you, the user of the device, can be contained 
by gentle nudging methods into a geographic location. So you are walking down the street and you've got your phone and they know then because they're tracking you on your GPS exactly where you are and if they see you're going outside the area that they want you to be, they simply start sending advertisements to your device that suggest that you go to the Starbucks that is a block away from your home. So if you were eight blocks away from your home uh, going to do something, they distract you. Here again is the short attention span. So you're like, oh, oh no, must have a cup of coffee right now. And you turn around and you go back to the Starbucks that's a block from your home. This is geofencing. And it is in use on devices everywhere now. And I think we'll see this more and more. And this is the gentle, uh, the Cass Sunstein nudging way of keeping you where you're supposed to be or keeping you where they want you to be rather than saying, ooh, 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 you know, you're locked out. You're <laughs> go to your home, go to your home. <laughs> You just do it yourself. As Alan Watt would always say, you buy your own chains. Yeah. Did he ever um, liken a cell phone to a prison cell? Liken the cell grid as a prison? I'm, I'm not sure that he actually used that terminology for it but yeah I, I i you know he clearly saw that this was you know that, that, that this was an element of control and there's no doubt that uh, that all of these things are though that you know the computer i mean he knew where this was all going and he he said many times you know if i didn't have to use this for what i'm doing i would just toss it out the window because they're more bother than they are worth Mm-hmm. But, I get more annoyed at the the newer computers. My work tries to give us update computers every so often, and each one is just seems like the new version takes away a lot of stuff that I used, nudging me a certain direction. And I find that very irritating. Hence my tendency to hold on to really old stuff. Yeah, I, th- I think I mentioned uh, to you that I, I edit uh, on an XP. <laughs> yeah. I do the audio on an XP because the version of that software that they released for Windows 7 and then subsequent, it, it's just nowhere near as good as the software for the XP. It's mm-hmm. night and day. And, you know, what I... Th- what I think with, you know, backing things up to the cloud and also things just not working as well as they used to is we are actually supposed to be less hands-on. You know, everybody says, oh, the Internet gives you freedom and you can connect with people all over the world and you can, you know, all of those wonderful things that they sold you on the Internet with. And the, the the earliest versions of things, you did have more control. I mean, I, I specifically was talking to you about the audio editing because this the program was so uh, intuitive and sensitive, and it, it's just like I have so much control over the audio, 
And the newer the program got, the cruder it became because they don't actually want you building your own website. They don't actually want you running your own platform. Uh, you know, the idea that I even know any HTML, you're not supposed to have any programming skills because the internet is not ours. Yeah. All we're supposed to do is go on and, and chat and text and, you know, scroll down like you're talking about TikTok. It's the same setup if you're on Twitter. It, it's just this inst, this scrolling of images and things into infinity. Yeah, that was me on, that was me on MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> really? Back in the day. Yeah. And then my cousin gave me an invite to Facebook. And immediately, I disliked it. <laughs> immediately, I, I saw they're trying to control you in a certain way. Uh-huh. It took me a while to create an account, but it took a short amount of time for me to cancel it. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because I've heard it's almost impossible to cancel a Facebook account. This was probably 14 years ago. Well, you might have gotten, you know, in and out just in time because they they made it just impossible to get out once you had uh, signed on for the experience. So I've heard. I don't know. I never, I never did it. I probably had a back and forth email thread saying uh, cancel out. There's no way they said. Um, they probably said, oh, we want, we're going to. We like to keep your account in case you want to go back. And I said, there's no way I'm going back. You need to delete this thing now. <laughs> and then I don't think I heard anything after that. So who knows if it's deleted? I doubt it. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's funny. I I had heard once once you're on Facebook, you're you know it's like the Hotel California. <laughs> <laughs> you can never leave. <laughs> oh boy. I know that we kind of went all over the place, but I had fun going all over the place. And I'd love it if you want to share a little bit, if you've got some sound bites uh, that you want to share of any of your bands, like playing the upright bass or anything like that. Mm. You're welcome to to send anything that you want me to use, and I'll incorporate it. I've always been hypercritical of any recording. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if one will ever make it to you, but... Um. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's okay, too. <laughs> but um, I remember you were talking interviewing with um, some guy, some other musician from northern UK, and I was listening to some of the, his stuff. Actually, a lot. That's the most I've ever heard um, from a guest. And, uh, I don't remember the name of the song, but it was, it was pretty good. I liked it a lot. Was that one I did recently uh, with the Angry North and, and Boris's Bitches? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I think he's quite good. Um, the, the thought that goes into the lyrics 
is, I, I just think it's great. You know, he, he really gets what is at stake, and that's the important thing right now. The total loss of freedom. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I might consider one song that I'll send to you. Um, well, please do consider it. Don't be such a harsh judge. <laughs> <laughs> Let us be the harsh judge. <laughs> okay. But I'm, you know, I, I just want to say again that, you know, Alan was always appreciative of knowing you and for what you had done by keeping that mirror going. And I certainly am too. Like I said, there have been times, there been there was a time when for several hours the only functioning website was the mirror site. But um, for basically for years, I, I know that especially when, when everything went up on satellite, and it would just take forever and ever and ever. And I could count on it probably going up on the mirror before it went up on any of the other sites. So mm-hmm. it's been very reliable, and I appreciate that. And and so I think in a very real way, you have participated in getting Alan's message out. <laughs> so I thank you. That's comforting to hear, because I would think every now and then, Man, what am I doing with my life? And then I, I think, have I done anything important? And then I remember the mirror site, and I, I think, then I then think I could actually do nothing right now. And the mirror site is one of the best things that I <laughs> could ever offer to the world. Well, I, I personally doubt. I don't know you that well, but I really doubt that that's the only good and constructive and useful thing that you've put out in the world. I just, I'm not going to buy that. But it has, it has been really helpful. And to think, you know, we're we're moving on at least 17 years of of that of that mirror site being active, and that's a that's an amazing commitment. It really is. So, and it has helped. And I, you know, I know, I know that, I mean, just this year, I had troubles at, with three major sites in one day. And one of them was down, the, I, the comm site was unavailable for almost 24 hours. And these things are kind of, they, they freak you out a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? One of the sites, I don't remember which one it was now, though, said, oh, we're going to be doing routine maintenance backup and we're going to be down, you know, between 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. on a Saturday, you know. Well, they were down for almost 24 hours. So mm. it's it's really great. The Jinkness site, you know, there have been like three times when it was, ah, kind of slower. Ah, there was a problem with it. Mm. <laughs> So yes, Rodney, you you you've done something meaningful with your life. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Yeah, but you have. I mean, I think that's the you know that that this is a a very real existential crisis that people go through when. When we know what's going on and we know the fallout and we know how many people live and die and don't ever 
understand what is going on or understand what's hit them and this fallout. And I, I really, this is something that I think about all the time. You know, am I doing enough? Am I using my time and talent in the best way possible? Is there something that I'm neglecting? Is is there a way that I can do this that would further the reach of Alan's work? You know, I I think those questions are continuous. You you always have to be looking at the man in the mirror and then saying, "What can I do?" We didn't plan a. A conversation or any topics. We just said we're going to be loose. But is there anything that you wanted to say before we end our conversation that's on your mind? Um, I just want to thank you for asking me to do this real history. It's an honor. Um, I didn't think I'd ever reveal myself <laughs> on this site. It's nice to be recognized. Mm. I thank you for taking the time to do it. I was looking forward to this, and it has been fun. You're really easy to talk to, and it's it's nice to be able to just kind of go all over the map with someone. It's it's relaxing. <laughs> and um, I've noticed you're the other calm voice behind a microphone on cutting through the matrix. Oh, thank Very you. comforting to listen to. Thank you. I I mm, I was terrified to open my mouth, and it's still kind of hard sometimes. I, I can get going if I get excited about a topic. I can get going, but I was so happy just to be behind the scenes, you know, making tea and French fries and you know, <laughs> <laughs> bringing in firewood. That, that was pretty blissful, but it just seemed that that I have to do this and then I, I've said to a few people it's it's terrifying because it's like opening for the world's greatest rock band and I just showed up with an out of tune acoustic guitar and I I, I don't even remember the words to the song <laughs> That's that really is what it feels like to have the audacity to speak before one of Alan's talks but thank you for saying that I'm a calm voice that you look forward to hearing. I really appreciate that, Rodney. So for everyone who has tuned into this episode, I am not sure what happens next week. I will just say in advance that, that in November I've got a couple of... I, I smell the wind, and I think it's going to be a hard month. So there may be a week or two where there's just nothing at all from me. But um, I don't think it will be next week. So next week, look to tune in and hear a conversation with someone else. And thank you again, Rodney. It's a pleasure. All right. Then till next week.